0: I think if I was going to try and encapsulate it, I think it's one size doesn't fit all. And I think that's in terms of who we're talking to, where we're talking to them, and also the people that are doing the work.
1: Hello and welcome to Grow Up, an APG Canada podcast where we give strategic thinkers and creative tinkers opportunities to grow. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, and today on the show and actually for the next few weeks, we'll be chatting to industry professionals about what makes strategic planning in Canada different from the rest of the world and what a Canadian style of planning might have to offer the industry. Today, we're joined by Tim Hopkins, National Strategy Lead at the AND Partnership. Tim, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. Um, Terrific, if you could please introduce yourself to our listeners, we'd love to hear a bit about your background, uh, especially where you came to Canada from, um, how long you've called Canada home, and uh, which markets you've worked in.
0: Uh, Hi, Michelle. Um, Yeah, thank you. So yeah, um, I'm, as you can probably tell from my accent, originally from the UK. Um, I moved to Canada with my family almost six years ago now, which is quite scary because it really doesn't feel that long. Um, but before moving, I worked principally in London. Um, my last agency there was Grey London, so I worked with some really big national but also global brands because there was a lot of global work done out of, um, of London for the likes of P&G and Volvo, so working in the UK but often working into other markets in North America, Europe, and even Asia, and then moved over, um, joined Zulu, I was my first Canadian agency, which was a fantastic experience. Got to work very quickly um, with some really iconic Canadian brands like Tim Hortons, Harry Rosen, Interact, which was brilliant because you have to deep dive into the heart of Canadian culture straight off the bat to, to help connect with the audience. And then two and a half years ago, moved over to the AM partnership uh, as national strategy lead. And have been working principally with Telus, again, another really iconic Canadian brand, um, that does a, an, an awful lot in a lot of different spaces. So again, been a, a really interesting challenge to understand the role that such a big brand like that can play, in, play across culture.
1: Hmm. And, and just sort of interested, what brought you to Canada? Were you, was it, uh, were you looking for a bit of a change? Was it, um, I guess maybe both on the personal and career front or?
0: It, it really, uh, it was, it was the adventure actually. We'd come on a holiday, my wife's got Canadian family um, and we came over originally to the West Coast. And just fell in love with it and thought our kids were at an age where it would be you know, okay for them to move. They were still pretty young. Um, and we thought, why not? Let's have an adventure. Let's do something different. So it really wasn't career-driven at all, actually. It was a lifestyle thing. We thought it would be a great place for the kids to grow up and experience something completely different. Um, and, and touch wood, it's worked out really well. And we've, we've all settled and are really happy here.
1: And Fantastic. So well, let's get to the nut of the question then, and and see where it goes from there. Um, the the question we wanted your POV. How it was a two part question actually. So how is strategic planning in Canada different from the rest of the world, and what do you think Canada can uni- uniquely offer the industry?
0: Well, that's that's a that's a big expansive question, but I think it prompts some good discussion. I think I think to me, there's kind of I was thinking a little bit about this over the weekend. I think there's sort of four kind of buckets that we can talk through that are connected. And I think three are really positive and, and sort of show the Canadian market to be unique in a really good way. And I think one is more of a, a challenge, but one where I think there's an opportunity. So the first one, and, and perhaps the one that where there's the starkest difference to my experience from the UK, is the Canadian sort of sense of, of pride and identity. I think a lot of Canadians are rightly proud to be Canadian, and I'm now proud to call myself one. And I think brands are authentically proud to be canadian and play on that heritage quite a lot and that's seen when it's done authentically as a positive thing and i think it is a positive thing whereas in the uk notions of national identity and being sort of proud to kind of fly the flag are much more problematic partly because of our very complex and even colonial past so it's very different and i think you know it's quite a highfalutin thought but it It informs how brands position themselves and how they show up and connect with their audiences. So one example is around brand platforms. So I worked with Subaru for a while, and they have a distinctly and uniquely creative platform for Canada and nowhere else in the world. So in America, it's completely different brand positioning um, relative to Canada, because when we looked at what was relevant to the Canadian audience, it was very, very different to perception of Subaru in the American market and warranted its own platform. So actually, um, Subaru is one of the few car brands in the world that does completely 100% Canadian driven work and doesn't lift and take anything from global because it's got a different role and perception amongst its audience. And I think, you know, I, I know purpose is a, is a sort of, Still a, a big industry buzzword, although it might hit peak purpose. But when brands do purpose in Canada, I think it tends to be much more focused at a community level. If you think about the work that Tim Hortons do, with Smile Cookie, Timbit Sports, it's very much focused at a community level. You know, the, the franchisees have a big say in the organization they support through Smile Cookie. Canadian Tire, huge, iconic organisation, really focusing on grassroots kind of sports at that community level. I do a lot of work with Telus, and again, they're a a multi-billion dollar brand, but a lot of their purpose initiatives are showing up in the community, very small projects individually, but collectively make a big impact. And I think that is rooted in the sense of community that is a part of Canadian culture. And I I think, again, it, it shows that purpose driven marketing is strong and effective in Canada, I just think it has a slightly different flavor to what you might see in the UK and US, where they tend to take some massive societal issue and, and try and kind of often boil the ocean, sometimes more successfully than others. Whereas that community piece, for me, it feels authentically Canadian and, and customers see the impact on their doorstep, which can only be good for perception of the brand.
1: That's really interesting. I'd never really thought about that before, because obviously there are pretty big uh, national um, issues or concerns or or focal points, you know, um, different threads of it, which I guess you're saying can still turn up in in a more community or localized way. You know, whether we're talking about the um, multi-ethnic population of Canada, um, the indigenous population, there's there's lots of feels like areas where we could focus Um, But I'd never really considered that, that it's more of a localized effort. That's super interesting.
0: Yeah. And I I think, you know, and there are obviously the, the, it's, it's a complex and challenging place to go because, you know, and I'm I'm by no means an expert on this, but the challenges around the indigenous community and all the the historical issues there and, and brands, I think often do shy away from it, but that doesn't mean that brands can't show up and make an impact again just going to recent experience with TELUS, they have a program called Story Hive, which funds young creators and and documentary makers. And what they're doing is helping the Indigenous community and the Black community to tell their own stories of their Canadian experience and then using their platform to put that out in the world. So there are obviously many, many issues um, within the Indigenous community, and it would be inauthentic for certain brands to go and play there. But where tellers can use its platform in a meaningful way and bring genuine benefit, it's done. but it's done at a sort of one-to-one community level and they build scale from that. So I think, again, it, it's just a different emphasis and focus on, on tackling societal issues, which brands should be doing, but always in a meaningful and authentic way.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I also, I'm, I'm very heartened to hear, you know, your, your Subaru example, because I think one of the, uh, maybe Achilles' heels or, or pain points. Sometimes people think about in terms of working on Canadian brands, especially more global ones. Is like, oh, it's just going to be a localization. You know, we're going to be adapting from the U.S. or from the U.K. Um, but it sounds like, um, uh, you know, there there are at least some brands who are recognizing perhaps some of the differences that consumers have uh, towards different brands here. I mean, maybe even a difference. I don't know if you're seeing you know, we're always going to be in the shadow of the U.S. Do you find differences in consumers' uh, perspectives or or point of view towards different uh, lifestyle issues, whether it be money or leisure or hobbies or things like that?
0: I think when it comes to, you know, something like lifestyle, leisure, yeah, there are differences um, in Canada relative to the States, absolutely, but, but culturally in terms of kind of incomes and spend um, and to the UK too. But what's interesting too is, again, both a challenge and an opportunity in the Canadian market is its sheer scale. You know, so in whilst I think it's probably fair to say, and perhaps wrongly, that the majority of the advertising industry in Canada is, is Toronto or Ontario-centric, I think. But very quickly, I learned coming over here, it's if we're doing a camp- a national campaign it's really important to regionalize. And I'm not just talking about Quebec here. Again, going back to my Subaru um experience, if you're doing a a dealer focused or a regional campaign, you need to make sure that the execution in the West is, is uniquely West, even if that's just a landscape shot, because people, you know, it they feel a sense of connection to their locale. And given how vast Canada is, you can't do a lift and shift nationally, let alone internationally sometimes. So I think it's, it is a challenge as well when you're working, you know, and you've got one budget and it's got to be split by province and certainly a different execution for Quebec and to understand their kind of cultural and audience needs. So it's, it is a, a more challenging market. Now you could argue in the UK, I'm sure you've heard of the North South divide that someone from Manchester might not necessarily identify with someone from London in terms of their own cultural experience or their own personal experience. And it And I think rightly there's a lot of um, London centricity to UK advertising, but I don't think you'd regionalise for Manchester or to Liverpool or even into Scotland necessarily in the way that you would between BC and Ontario. Um, And it's partly scale, but partly just, again, you know, the sort of audiences are different in each of the provinces and you've got to understand their needs as consumers and try and, message and communicate with them appropriately which makes budgets very challenging because there's only so much budget to go quite a long way
1: yeah that's that's super interesting um and and then sorry you just gave me so much uh fodder that I need to just keep probing even though you've only made your first point you said you have like four more or three more (laughs) but um you mentioned Canadian pride over the six years that you've been here have you seen that shift or evolve or change in any way has it has it maintained steadiness what impact has covid or any of those kind of more macro forces had do you think i
0: i think i think it's well and also the longer i've lived here i think the picture is perhaps more nuanced i think it's not you know every in every canadian is proudly flying the flag i think there is there is some cynicism i think covid obviously was challenging although i think that the government largely held up pretty well certainly compared to to other countries around the world so i think it's more nuanced now but i think and i think pride to be canadian is going to be different depending on which community you speak to so you know um as as a relatively new canadian and having met lots of other new canadians from different parts of the world there is a sense of of pride in being welcomed to canada and feeling proud to be part of a of a new country, regardless of whether you come from India, from Asia, or from Europe or wherever, and I think and I think a lot of Canadians are rightly proud of the welcoming culture that Canada has for the most part. I do think there is some you know pockets of cynicism for sure, um, as there would be in, in any country. so I think it's it's not just a, a completely rosy picture, but I, I do think part of it is that Canada is still. I think a relatively, in inverted commas, young country has has a very forward positive attitude generally. And I've I've found that in business. i found it through my kids' education as well. There's a real kind of can-do attitude to it. And I think culturally that, especially in advertising, when a can-do attitude is kind of essential to do well, I think it helps set the industry up for success because there isn't baked-in cynicism as there is in certainly parts of the UK and States where I've worked.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on. What, what else are you seeing <clears throat> as different in Canada, and, and what else do you think Canada can offer the industry?
0: Well, I think we sort of touched on one of the other points I was making was the regional differences piece, but also again, I think the the multicultural marketing, which is I'd never um, experienced working with you know multicultural specialist agencies um, in the UK or any of the global work I'd done, and it was interesting when you worked on global brands. Um, so I worked on broad, you know, uh, razors and shavers. And interestingly, when we were executing these global toolkits, cultural sensitivities in Asia relative to, to Europe changed the way we were making creative. And I think what's really fascinating, we work with a great multicultural agency at TMP called Response. So when we're looking at a national campaign for maybe a, a device launch or, or a big brand piece, getting the, the multicultural perspective for, you know, the Asian diaspora, be it Indian subcontinent or new immigrants from different communities, understanding what their needs are and cultural sensitivities and opportunities is fascinating. And I think it makes for more effective market marketing to those audiences. And, and given the changing nature of, of the Canadian consumer, and it is so multicultural, which is great, but it, it's it's good to see that their needs are being addressed and being thought of quite upstream, because again, I'd say that the UK is also incredibly multicultural um, but not I don't think most brands are thinking about it to the degree that we do here in Canada.
1: Mm. yeah, I, I actually think that that is so fascinating. It could be the topic of a whole other. Podcast series. Um, we were having this. I've had had this conversation with other folks before because there obviously seems to be an increased emphasis. I think uh, over the last years, and rightly so, on multicultural agencies and diversity inclusion, and to to some extent, you know, where I've seen it in the beginning was that multicultural agencies were cons- weren't considered until later on. Sometimes, um, you know, they weren't necessarily part of the same briefing. They weren't necessarily part of the interagency team, um, separate budget. And and now, uh, I think, thankfully, it, it's becoming much more immersed um, into the process and being brought in much earlier. It, it in some instances, it looks to me a little bit like where digital agencies were kind of twenty years ago. In in that, you know, they they were at sometimes thought of as a a bit of an afterthought, but I think it's really gratifying to see them brought in much earlier and almost, you know, there's a bit of a debate as well. well, Should they be a a separate thing? Shouldn't they just be part of the mainstream agency and the mainstream approach?
0: Um, Uh, Well, yeah, I think, yes. But, you know, the people from uh, those communities themselves are always going to have a much deeper and nuanced understanding of the communities they're from than, than any amount of reading around it. Like, so uh, this is a, a, a kind of a silly example, but one that makes a bigger point is that obviously with TELUS, a lot of the work we do features our critters, you know, the animals in the app. Now, now in, in Western culture, for instance, an owl is seen as very wise. So if we were talking about a smart choice, for instance, in a campaign, we might want to choose an owl Parts of, of Asia um, and India do not see an owl in that way. They're seen as actually a bit silly and not very smart. Now, your message is going to kind of go off the rails very quickly if you're taking an animal that we think is seen as smart and actually the opposite is the case. So, you yeah, know, that that's just a, an executional example, but you'd put a foot wrong and, and your campaign to those consumers is is completely irrelevant and actually insensitive. So I think it's... One, it's about making work more effective and engaging to a particular audience, which is just really audience planning when it comes down to it. You know, you could, you can cut an audience up in any, any number of different ways. And and part of it, their, their kind of cultural background is, is one way of doing that. But you want to make sure that actually the work you're putting into the world isn't going to be upsetting or indeed even offensive to a particular community. Not because we're being insensitive, just because we're not necessarily aware of it so I think having the right voices around the table be that a specialist agency partner which is great but also picking up on your point around DEI making sure that we've got agencies have got a a good mix of people in different departments right across the agency in every department so that when these issues do come up we've got the right voices in the room saying actually that could be a challenge or actually this is a really big opportunity so I think it it works both in terms of making the work more effective but also the workplace um more varied and interesting to get to better shapes of work
1: yeah yeah and and especially given the point you made earlier i mean literally the makeup of canada is changing uh on a daily hourly (laughs) basis um so to be at the at the You know, the the pointed edge of that um, is obviously really important. Okay, so pride and identity in Canada, regional differences. um, What else are you seeing um, as as different in Canada than perhaps in the UK? I
0: think, again, and I think this has changed, and I think it's changing still. But when I first came over, and a few people, both agency side and client side, said, Oh, well, we're we're quite culturally conservative. And so sometimes the work is going to be a little safer. and I think you know, in the UK, that there's always been a kind of "let's do brave work, let's do breakthrough work, Let, let's let's smash smash the system" kind of attitude to a lot of advertising. Um, sometimes that's really good. Sometimes it just leads to work that's not that effective. But that sort of we have to challenge convention. And I think when I first came over here, I it, it definitely felt different. Now I think that's changing. I think a lot of brands are doing more breakthrough brave work that also is effective. And I think a big part of that was, you know, and a really good example of it is SitKids because what they did was completely throw any category convention on its head, executed a platform in a totally different way um, and, and bra- very bravely. And, and I think when it launched was pretty controversial, but demonstrated its impact and its success. And I think not just that, Particular campaign, but I think it showed that you can be disruptive and be really effective. And I think, you know, looking at the work that's out in the world at the moment, I think KFC are doing some really good stuff um, that feels very kind of on the nose culturally. It's fun, it's a little bit playful, perhaps a little bit controversial. um, You know, and I think brands are seeing that you can take risks and still be successful, but importantly, remain true to the brand, you know, and not just do work that feels kind of silly and modern and, oh, look at us, aren't we cool and and funky? But that might not be right for the brand. So I think, you know, people are starting to open up to new opportunities. And I think the fact that the media landscape is changing so dramatically and so quickly means you've got to do different shapes of work. You know, that the, I think, again, when I first came over, I was quite surprised that, TV was still, you know, TV is the answer. What's the question? Seemed to be the the prevailing attitude. And I certainly think in the last sort of two, three years, the shift, and you see it in, in both the way media dollars are being spent, but the way that brands are creating for platform and not just lifting and shifting the TV spot and putting it onto, onto their socials is is showing that different types of work and the need to think differently are becoming embedded both in clients and in agencies. There's still a lot more to do. I think there's still too much one size fits all creative, but I am seeing a lot of change, which is really good.
1: Yeah, you mentioned effectiveness. I'm curious on your perspective there because obviously the UK is the home of the IPA. Um, Les Bonet and Peter Fields and, and all the emphasis there what what differences are you seeing there in terms of agency emphasis on effectiveness uh, client um, expectation of seeing the results uh, etc
0: it's definitely improved a lot definitely I mean yeah I'd you know it's I always I was when I again going back five nearly six years um when I first started you know Quoting Bennett and Field as I tend to do quite a lot. Um, and people go, Oh, what what is this? Who is this Bennett and Field of whom you speak? And I was like, you've not, you know, for me, any planet that's not read Bennett and Field is like, really? And that now thankfully is changing. And I know they've both spoken over here. Um, I think people like Mark Ritson have really kind of banged the drum for effectiveness as well. And so that is changing. And I think the effies have got more traction and a greater emphasis on. You know, um their importance in the agency roster of awards, obviously an fE to me is is absolutely the top you know you can you can keep your cons if um having having won an FE, that's that's kind of going on my tombstone so um I think it's really good that there is a focus on effectiveness, and we've seen a number of different clients starting to employ econometric modeling or on much more sophisticated reporting mechanisms to make sure that the dollars they are spending are effective. And I think that's really important because what it does is give marketers and advertisers a seat at the the sort of C-suite level rather than here's here's the nice things we've made and aren't they pretty and beautiful to look at what we're doing for the business, look at the value we are adding to, to the bottom line, look at the customers we're bringing on and keeping. And so, you know, all power to the elbow of, Of clients and agencies that have invested time and energy in in improving their reporting and measurement because it's well it's it's judges whether we're good or bad rather than here's a nice shiny gong for something pretty you've made um so i think it's really good and again i've seen a huge shift in emphasis and i think partly because you know when the economy is really strong people are less worried about it we're knocking on the door of recession Budgets are tight if not being cut. And so every media dollar has to be justified. And I think that can only be good for the industry and the people in it.
1: Are you seeing those conversations happen much earlier though, as well, like at at briefing stage? Because I think one of the things that I've noticed is that oftentimes the results conversation doesn't happen until, you know, the campaign's done, and six weeks later the report, you know, hits your inbox. Um, whereas my perception of uh, clients in, in the UK or maybe, you know, the, the ones who are really, for example, gung-ho about uh, getting an IPA or, or you know, show, being able to show the results at the end is like setting up for it at the beginning. During the briefing stage, how are we actually going to show that this has shifted the needle in some degree? What, what is the econometric modeling or parameters or whatever that we need to have in place to observe any kind of impact um, that this is going to have?
0: Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm one of those planners where if I don't have very pointed, choiceful, you know, not a laundry list of objectives, but two or three, here are the, the you know, the needles we need to shift on a brief, then I tend to throw my toes out the pram. Um, because what on earth are we doing if we don't have those kind of uh, pointy objectives up front? You know, because then you can, well, you can kind of post rationalize, oh, it was successful because that number's gone up. But was that the right number to push in the first place? So I think, um, I think, you know, certainly the bigger brands I've worked with over here are very strong on that. I, I often think there are still too many objectives that one campaign's meant to hit. It's like, here are the nine things we want to do. Well, we're not going to get nine things done. Let's do two, perhaps three things really, really well and make a demonstrable improvement through this piece of work, rather than here's just kind of loads of numbers on a wall. Um, I think it, it's a challenge for smaller brands because they don't necessarily have the resource to measure to the depth that a bigger a TELUS and Interact a Tim Hortons, a Canadian Tire would do. Um, but that being said, given that you know, even smaller brands are predominantly digital, they should have those metrics there and they should be baked into the upfront planning process, you know, for the year, not just at a campaign level. It's like, if you're doing your annual plan, what are the, again, two or three things you're really going to focus on and try and shift and then map your year out accordingly and pivot when you need to. Of course, we move in a fast changing industry, things will change. But if you're not effectively goal setting, I just think you're, for the, the agency's kind of going to be spinning because they're not quite sure what the, the outcome. The end state should be and then the clients are going to struggle because how do they know if they've been successful or not? And again, when you're reporting to the CFO or the CEO, you you can't show that from to in a really clear way, um, which, you know, creates challenging conversations. And it makes it hard to justify the budget that that marketing departments are given.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's terrific to hear that you're seeing positive shifts um, in terms of effectiveness and, you know, doing kind of less safe work. Is there anything else that you've observed um, as as a difference between markets you've worked at in, in Canada?
0: I think one of the other things, and again, I think this is a real positive, is the whole, I think the process, the, the relationship, not just between client and agency, but actually when... Working with other agencies, be it a media agency, a multicultural agency, perhaps even another creative shop, is more collegiate and collaborative than um, the UK. Again, I'm not, you know, saying everything's kind of a a field of roses and we all skip together holding hands. But I think for the most part, relationships are positive and people want to do really well. And I think the UK is, um, and certainly the States, is much more kind of dog eat dog. Um, but I, and I think that's to the detriment of the work and ultimately to the client relationship, because, you know, if creative and media aren't working effectively, the work's not going to be effective. You know, it's got to be what's the, the best solution rather than here's a media plan. Now let's fill those media holes with some creative work rather than discussing what the real opportunity is to your earlier point upstream right at the start. So it's getting the people around the table and having an honest conversation. With the client, with the different partners, how best to be solve the problem at hand, and I feel there's much more of that here, because you know there's a kind of that the all ships rise thing. Um, I feel is again it, it comes back to I think that's more of a a national characteristic, um, in all honesty. And I think it you know businesses, is yeah it's competitive for sure, and everyone's kind of wants to do well, um, but it's not done necessarily. In such a kind of cutthroat way,
1: well, you know what's interesting because on the other side of that and and uh, a theme that came up actually at our event was are we too nice? are we too agreeable um do we not push the work far enough? are we afraid of uh kind of conflict um you know too considerate uh of hurting other people's feelings what what are your what are your thoughts there
0: um, um in all on- <sighs> I can see how some people think that, but I think it's, I think the, the challenging conversations happen, but they're not necessarily kind of combative. It's like, okay, well, how do we get to the best solution then? Rather than a, he said, she said, you're wrong, I'm right kind of. It's not a zero sum game. It's, I think, you, and certainly, you know, Zulu's kind of certainly got that reputation. I think we do it at the unpartnership. partnership. Um, to and I think the clients that I've been lucky enough to work with in my time here you certainly have the difficult conversations but it's done in a in a positive way how do we get to better work how do we get to a a positive solution you know it's if we're on round seven of internal and the the CCO is is binning the work that's happened a bunch of times because the work wasn't good enough so that's fair you know if I if a brief even if I'm writing a brief or a, a, one of my team is writing a brief and it's not challenged by the rest of the team and certainly the creatives and, and account team, then then I worry. It's like, well, why aren't we challenging each other to get to better work? But it's done, you know, th- I'd never heard the expression, uh, we're going to set you up for success until I moved to Canada, actually. And um, which, and I think it's a lovely expression. It was said on my first day when I, m- on my first first job here. And it's, and I think, That's what people want to do, but to do that doesn't mean you can't have frank and honest conversations. And I, I think you have to, if you want to do good work, you're going to have to challenge yourself and others. But you don't have to do it in a screaming, shouting, you know, histrionic kind of way. Which uh, I'm not saying that happens all the time in the UK and and the states, but um, you know, I think again, it's part of the characteristic. I think people do want to do good work, successful work, but you don't have to do it by being combative.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, this has been far too rosy though. There must be things <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that we can work on. Um, you know, what can we learn from other countries? I mean, you'd mentioned, uh, obviously, you've mainly been based in the UK, but you've worked, it sounds like, for the US market um, and other markets globally. Um, what, where would you like to see the industry uh, improve itself and, and push further?
0: I think, One, one or two areas. I think one is around pace. I think I sometimes feel, as an industry, we can be too slow, and that's 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 agencies, its clients, its um, you know, it's like let's let's put our foot on the accelerator and go, let's move. Because I think, and again, the the market is moving so quickly, platforms move so quickly, audiences are moving more quickly than ever. That I worry that that we're not going as an industry. If we don't keep up, we're just going to look out of date, and someone will come along and disrupt, and move at real speed, and eat our lunch. So that's a worry, and I think, and and connected to that, I sometimes feel that the saying saying yes is is can be the sort of hardest word. It's to say no. Well, we need to take a step back. Let's review. I think sometimes there can be a little bit too much of a talking shop.
1: You know, it's interesting when you said pace, I just assumed you were going to say the opposite thing, which is that we're moving too quickly.
0: No, you know, I, no. We're, we're
1: harried and, you know, creators used to get two weeks to do creative and now they get two hours or whatever it might be. <laughs> um, and, and I've heard the comment as well, like we're not doing enough primary research and we, we just don't get the the time to do that. But when you talk about us moving too slow like are you referring back to things for example like you know we're still thinking about tv and then you lift and switching it to another platform or or what are your where are you referring to there i
0: think i think it's in general the actual kind of pro, i i feel that there's a lot of and a, a lot of unnecessary process across across the industry sometimes i think and again this comes down to perhaps sort of older, an older agency model where, yeah, what you're going to execute in, you're going to do a big shiny TV ad, you're going to do some press, you'll do some out of home, perhaps some radio, and you might have plenty of time to get that TV campaign up and running. Well, that's fine, but there's so many channels now, and we've got to be out in market much quicker, and we don't have nine months to do the thing and spend three million on the shoot. That's not the way the advertising world works anymore. So I think some of those processes are are kind of redundant and a carryover to a different time. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been lovely just to have nine months to make your TV ad and do some beautiful at home and go off to come and have a lovely kind of boozy lunch sometimes. But that's not the world we're in. So I think, you know, all of those elements you described doing your primary search, tightening the brief, the appropriate time for creative development, absolutely. But do we need 47 iterations of everything? Sometimes you just got to say yes and put, you know, make a decision and go with it. And I feel it's it's improving, but I think we can can do a lot more.
1: Are we less decisive then? Is that is that problem? Um,
0: I again, that's a, that's a sweeping generalisation.
1: <laughs> I'm just trying to make this point. Words in your mouth. But
0: I think certainly if you're working, you know, out of a New York office and and with a US based client, you'll get much more of a yes/no. Love that. Go with it. No, that's rubbish. Start again. And as opposed to, well, we could maybe, oh, what about if we... So I think sometimes you just want to be told yes or no. And it's like, look, if you don't like it, if you don't like the work, we'll come up with the ideas. If you don't like the brief, we can write another brief. But give us the clarity. Make the call, and then we can move forward, you know, productively and collaboratively. But I think the that's probably where perhaps it, it is, you know, inverted commas, a bit too nice. You know, saying no is okay. Um, if you don't like it, say it. We can sort out the issue and move on but you know when that kind of it's you know the the group think that oh well what if we just it's like let's make a call and move on because again sometimes making no decision is a cliche but it's true making no decision is the worst decision of of all and you've got it's a really fast-paced market and a fast-paced industry and if we're not you know um showing up quickly we're going to be nowhere and i think you know Rightly, the industry talks about being culturally relevant and showing up in the right moments in culture. Well, culture moves really fast. And if we're not moving really fast, we miss the boat. And then where are we?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What else? Anything else that we should uh, look to improve?
0: I think you can, you can always improve. I think, again, one, and we touched on this earlier, and a lot of work is being done in this area across agencies and across um, across clients too, is around just the, the casting of, of the teams. And really, um, you know, in the UK, there's a real, and it's, it's true, a real kind of um, way, way overloaded with the top three or four universities. You know, you go to your Oxford, your Cambridge, your Red Brick universities, which are basically the, the sort of top 10 traditional, the Liverpools, the Leeds, the Manchesters, and they they pull from a very small well. And I think that's changing in the UK too. The two smartest people I've ever worked with in advertising didn't go to university, had completely different backgrounds um, to to the vast majority of the industry. And I think their experience made them much more effective. And I think over here, again, it's improving, but it's quite, uh, I think we are pulling from too small a pool of talent.
1: Yeah. Are you finding that I I guess people are looking outside the more traditional or obvious places? Then is that is that well
0: uh, not enough? I don't think not enough. Um, Well, I mean,
1: from from the UK or wherever it may be. Yes,
0: I mean, yeah, I think. Well, I think you know. I mean, one of the benefits of working in a in a network agency, we we can pull resources from all over the world, which is really good. But I think when when looking to recruit, you know, within Canada. I think let's look at the the pool of talent outside. Outside, you know, I mean, I could well get in trouble for saying this, but do we? Does everyone have to have a university degree in an advertising agency? I'm really not sure they do. Um, now, don't get me wrong; a university education is a is a wonderful thing. But like I said, two of the smartest minds I ever worked with, the the, the university wasn't an option for them when they were younger because partly because of their background, partly because of um, you know, economic reasons. But they they got their way into the industry because someone gave them a shot. Um, you know, you could argue uh Niels Leonard, who um runs Uncommon in London, perhaps one of the most celebrated creatives of his generation, started out in a studio, he was given a shot. I think he left school at fifteen or sixteen, and he's a global titan now in terms of the industry. So, you know, great minds come from all backgrounds, and I think again the more diverse and rich, not just in terms of ethnicity or gender and age, but just life experience, let's get different people at the table because, you know, we work in a creative industry and creative people come from all walks of life.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, two other things that I've heard about the industry in Canada, some of, some of which came up um, at the event um, and some of which have come up in, in other conversations. I'm curious, one, we haven't talked too much about um, departmental size and, and budgets. Um, you know, obviously from London, I'm sure those, those are different when you compare to Canada. Um, I've heard that there's a bit more of a, a scrappiness, um, perhaps in the Canadian market. Um, curious as to your f- thoughts on, you know, whether that's a good or a bad thing, probably a little bit of both. Um, and the second one is uh, emphasis on emotional-based advertising whether there is perhaps as much appreciation for that in this market as in others and this the still effectiveness and impact that that can have.
0: Um yeah, great, great observations. I, I, I well, I think scrappiness is a good thing. And I do think there is a scrappiness um to the Canadian market that more so and I think that's partly because it is a smaller market and so agencies have to be have to hustle to get the business kind of thing. So that's good. And I think clients have to hustle to get their budgets too. So that's really good. And whilst there isn't a creative in the world that isn't going to say, can I have more budget? The smaller budgets, you know, is an, I think I see it as a creative opportunity. What's the smart thing we can do that's different? We're not going to have the budgets that they do in the States where they've got 10 times, you know, 10 times the market, 10 times the budget. We've got one budget often have to, you know, execute in at least two languages. So what's the smart thing that a US shop or a London shop wouldn't do? So I think that that is a good thing, and I think it's um, that can drive creativity. Um, so that, that's a challenge. I think the emotion thing is, is interesting. Um, I mean, I, I think the most underused emotion in, in advertising um, in Canada, but also, I mean, I think it affects the industry globally, is what happened to humour? When do we stop being funny? You know, if you look back at some of the classic ads, Oh, going back in time, 70s, 80s, 90s, even early 2000s, you know, that, that was part of the, the advertising contract. Well, you know, you watch our ad and we'll entertain you and at least, if not make you laugh. Um, there's a brilliant slide that goes back to the late 80s in the UK that showed that at the time, people watched TV more for the ads than the programs because they felt the ads were more entertaining. Now, sadly, that is not the case today. Um, And I think that's kind of a, you know, shame on us kind of thing. But I I feel that as much as I think purpose marketing has got a really strong role an important role to play, not everything has to be super earnest. Do you know what I mean? I I feel the more we could eject humor, wit, levity into advertising, especially after the last couple of years, you know, with all those COVID campaigns where it was sad piano music and very somber and downbeat, what happened to joy in advertising? So I think emotion, yes um I think generally the rush to kind of lower funnel and performance marketing has sucked a lot of the joy out of advertising. Anyway, again, it has a role, but it shouldn't be, you know, at the expense of informing, educating, and most importantly, entertaining. Because I think that when we forget that we're asking our audience to kind of look at look at our work and pay at least, you know, at least not turn it off and hopefully pay some attention to it. I think it. It's our duty to make it as interesting as possible for them. And humour is a great way to, to get to people's hearts. People like laughing, you know. Um, so, yeah, I feel the industry could do a lot more in that area.
1: Yeah, that, that's super interesting. It makes me think of a couple things. One is uh, I was having this conversation actually with Mark Tomlin uh, a few weeks ago, um, the chair of the APG, uh, and it was our series on APG Canada at 10. So reflecting on how planning in Canada has changed over the last 10 years and what might be in store for the next. And he mentioned kind of along the same theme. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but there's actually a, a ton of comedians from Canada who people think are American <laughs> um, who are actually Canadian. We have this real great kind of um, pool of, of talent in that regard that we should be drawing from um, or at least, you know, considering there's there's obviously some sort of talent there um, and, and opportunity, I think, to, at the same point, making perhaps or considering making the advertising a bit a bit more humorous and, and less uh, Earnest. And I'm also reminded um, of the fact that I came across this amazing report, I don't know if you've seen it, that Wonderman Thompson uh did just a little while ago called The Age of Reenlightenment. Um, and it it also kind of pushes up against, you know, COVID and obviously all the stress and anxiety that we've been going through over the last few years, and really consumers' desire to have that sort of escape um, through advertising and through brands and, and what they can offer um, more fantasy and whimsy and, and, all, and all that, which I think is a hugely exciting um, opportunity for, for marketers to lean into.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, people, there's enough negativity in the news and without kind of, you know, brands leading into it. Now, again, you know, there, there is absolutely a, a role for, for purpose in showing that, that we're tackling, you know, societal issues, be it at community level, be it, uh, A high level, but you know, people spend much less time in brands than most people that work in the world of brands and advertising realize. And so, most of those touch points, let's try and make people feel good about the world and our brand within that world. And I think humor, particularly in Canada, it's got a very unique sense of humor. You know, the British sense of humor is brilliant too, but it's it's very very different. Tends to be a bit more caustic and more sarcastic, I'd say. And that's great. I think Canadian humor is it kind of punches you know, punches up, not down, which is really good. But as you say, there's a really strong heritage of comedy in Canada. I mean, in in Toronto, there's a fantastic comedy scene. There's a whole bunch of really good comedy clubs. It is part of, you know, humour comes out in sport, in in art, in, in music. It comes, you know, it's it's culturally embedded. So it feels to me like a massively untapped resource. And even if we're not going for out and out laughter, we can still be light and entertaining. Uh, as marketers Um, so yeah I think I think that it's 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 been a bit too serious and got a bit too serious and, and overly earnest
1: yes yes um, so, so kind of last question. I mean, I guess you probably must get this a lot, um, from maybe from folks back at home and, and kind of going back to the heart of the question. It's hard to kind of probably summarize all this into one pithy statement, but that's what we do is <laughs> try and synthesize, <laughs> or maybe you just want to add on a point, um, that, uh, uh, we haven't kind of talked through now, but, um, is there, is there kind of like one thing that this all kind of bubbles up to in terms of how planning is different in Canada and what you think Canada can offer the industry? Um,
0: Or is it, is it? Well, I think if I was going to try and encapsulate it, I think it's one size doesn't fit all. And I think that's in terms of who we're talking to, where we're talking to them, and also the people that are doing the work. And I think, you know, that is, to my mind, it's, it, at its best, We are really kind of understanding audiences at, I think, a deeper level than perhaps I was used to in the UK. And we've got a more collegiate and collaborative approach to getting the right messages to them, working closely with clients, different partners. Like I said, not without its challenges and there's things we can do much better for sure. But I think that, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And and we're trying to set... Uh, each other and our partners up for success which i think is again it's refreshing it's a hard stressful industry at times and you don't need to be battling against colleagues clients and partners um you know if you if you're in it kind of arms locked together it's a more fun and b the work's going to be better at the end of the day
1: yeah Amazing! I thank you. You've given me my soundbite um, <laughs> from the beginning of this episode. Now I appreciate that. Um, I also I just love the positivity uh, of this and, and the energy. I mean, it's easy to to think about. Oh, we don't have the budgets of the U.S. and um, you know you know or or the U.K. Um, you know. Do, do we have the talent? Do we have as interesting brands? Is the context and the backdrop and the consumers that we're working with as interesting? But it sounds like we have uh, all of that in spades and it's, it's uh, heartening to hear, um, you know, your reflections on that.
0: Yeah, no, I do. And I, I work with um, I'm lucky enough to work with several creatives, some of whom um, have come from the States. And um, and interestingly, I was on a, a call last week. It was an internal this is a final point we've um we we brought in a team from the states to help on a, a brief we're working out here in Canada at the moment and it got to the end of the session and they were like guys this is so positive it's <laughs> right in New York like we've got clients really liking the work and and want to move it forward and yeah okay we can make those changes and that's great but this is so so positive we love the energy and I great you know I think it, it's it's And that's refreshing. And I think it's easy to lose sight of it. And working in a positive culture can only be a good thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it makes you obviously consider all the things that that can happen and can be improved as opposed to being shut down in the beginning, which is was almost like goes back to the point that you made earlier, um, you know, you know whether saying yes or saying no it's it's almost like if if we see a kernel of something it's almost like we don't want to shut it down perhaps that we want to kind of see if we can make it better and polish polish it um and build upon it even more
0: absolutely i think you know wherever you are whatever market you're in posit- if you can't be positive in this industry like the minute cynicism takes over i honestly think it's time to to get out and get a different yeah you can be be demanding, be challenging, push for better work, push for stronger work, push for, you know, quicker decision making, but positivity is yeah. the one thing you got to have, because it's, it's, it's tough wherever you're working, um, so I think the fact that it's it feels pretty embedded over here, that sense of positivity and, and what can be achieved rather than the problems that are in the way, um, is, makes it a much more interesting and fruitful place to work.
1: Well, I've enjoyed this conversation very much. It's been a great way to start a Monday morning. So thank you so much. Appreciate your time.
0: Oh, no, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's been great.
1: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share this episode, and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts.